1: Welcome to the Hornets Hivecast, presented by Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. Here's your host, Rob Longo. Hi,
0: friends, welcome to today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast, the official podcast of the Charlotte Hornets, brought to you by Santa Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates are the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider. Of your Charlotte Hornets. Rob Longo with you today. And if I sound a little bit more chipper, it's well because this is a winning edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Charlotte finally snaps that eight game losing streak in Orlando last night by the tune of 112 to 105. And when you take a look at the final score, probably not quite as indicative of what this game looked like when it played out or really what the margin of victory was as the Hornets led this one wire to wire. We'll talk about this one. We'll talk about our top performers as well, and we're going to talk about defense and deflections with an updated article on Hornets.com, and that is by the lead writer, the one and only Sam Purley, of course, and we have him on the Hornets Hivecast with us once again today. Sam, we gave you a couple days off, and it must have done some good because the Hornets picked up a win last night.
1: Rob, it is great to hear you sounding chippier. I sound chippier. It's not a silver linings edition. It's gold star. It's been a while. It was worth the wait. No more eight-game losing streaks, hopefully. But, yes, great game for the Hornets last night. I think sometimes it's about finding a way to win in this league, especially when you've lost so many games in a row like they had. They found a way to win, and that's really all that matters.
0: Let's go ahead and get into a recap of that one. With that said, as we take a look at this one from last night, no Dennis Smith Jr. Once again, no Gordon Hayward once again for the Hornets as the Orlando Magic War without Paulo Bencaro, the number one overall pick for a third straight game. So everybody kind of on even footing more or less with in terms of injuries going into this one. It was a really good start for Charlotte. The Hornets were doubling up Orlando early on in the game, not even five minutes into the contest. Orlando had to call a timeout to stop an 8-0 run. The only thing that was really hurting the Hornets were themselves. They were getting themselves into foul trouble. Nick Richards picked up his third foul just 90 seconds into the second quarter. Mason Plumlee had his third foul with a little bit under two minutes to go in the second quarter as well, but everything kind of worked itself out as the Hornets led this one 31-23 after the first quarter and went into the locker room up 13 by the tune of 58-45 to after 24 minutes of play. Then we go to the third quarter where the Hornets have struggled coming out of the gates in the second half this season. That wasn't the case. Charlotte came out, had an 8-0 run. However, Orlando countered with a 9-2 to run there midway through the third quarter. Charlotte ultimately won the quarter by a 26-24 to advantage, taking what ended up being an 84-69 lead going into the fourth quarter. Things did get a little dicey down the stretch. Orlando ultimately outscored the Hornets 36-24 to in the fourth quarter, but that was because of some lapses defensively down the stretch. There was a five-point swing in there where there was a flagrant foul called on Terry Rozier because he was reaching for the ball and hit Wendell Carter in the face and drew some blood, so they upgraded that to a flagrant one. Ended up being a five-point possession for Orlando. Cut the game into a single-digit deficit for the Magic, but the Hornets were ultimately able to hold on to this one. snapped that eight-game losing streak. Now improved to four and eleven on a regular season, and like I mentioned, this was a wire to wire win—the second wire to wire win by the Hornets this season. The other one came back on opening night in San Antonio. So, Sam, that's a little bit of a quick synopsis of this one. What stood out to you most in this contest?
1: I just love the start. I mean, they got off to a twenty-three to nine opening in the first quarter, uh, built a big lead. I think it got down to maybe seven early in the second quarter. It was thirty-seven thirty. Got back up to in that thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen kind of range, and And hovered around there until the fourth quarter. And I know when you kind of look at the game and you look at the score, oh, they're up 17 points, they can kind of just cruise in. But you got to remember, the Hornets have not had a lot of 15, 16, 17 point leads this season. I mean, it's a different sort of style of play in how you kind of bring this one home. It's a different feel than being down 15, 16, 17 points like we saw in Miami, the first game in Miami. Like just sort of the approach changes a little bit. And Uh, While it wasn't, you know, necessarily under the prettiest of circumstances there in the fourth quarter, I think that 8-0 Magic run took it from 17 to 9 at about the seven-minute mark of the fourth quarter. I don't think the Magic scored, or I think they only scored two points in the next four and a half minutes. So Hornets did a good job of ending possessions or finishing possessions, at least not giving up extra points and then just kind of made enough baskets to kind of go back and forth down the stretch and close this one out too. So I think that's what kind of I, I take takeaway. There was obviously some really good, some strange stuff, some not so good stuff, but I really like how they kind of responded there in the fourth quarter when it got a little close, too close for comfort, um, the way they kind of, got it together and brought this one home.
0: Steve Clifford talked about that fourth quarter defense after the game, but overall he was really pleased with the effort through the first three quarters.
1: Our balance, you know, I thought, I thought we had good ball movement offensively and our defense. I thought was for the first two and oh, almost two and a half quarters, really good, you know, good individual defense. Um, I think more tied together, More guys determined to keep the ball in front of them. Um, We had stretches in that time, and that's what I'm going to choose to uh, concentrate on. Not once we get up 17, how we defended was a much different team.
0: The thing that stood out for me, Sam, and this is going back to what I talked about in the little bit of the recap that I did, was... The Hornets' bigs were in some pretty bad foul trouble there in the first half. I mean, when you have a guy like Nick Richards, who has one of the best offensive ratings in the entire NBA, he picks up his third foul not even 90 seconds into the quarter. He's got to go to the bench that forces Mason Plumlee with a little bit of a longer run. He picks up his third foul late in the second quarter. We even saw some Kai Jones for a handful of minutes there at the end of the first half just to kind of fill in the stopgap a little bit. But those guys played some pretty good defense in the second half, and they did not foul. Mason Plumlee did have two fouls in the second half. He picked up one very, very late. I want to say it was with like less than a minute to go in the fourth quarter. And then when you take a look at Nick Richards, he didn't play a ton there in the second half, but he still was able to keep himself clean with only three fouls at the end of the day. So overall, that was a really big pickup for me. The one negative, if I have to nitpick in this loss, is that the three point shooting was just not very good. They shot 20% from beyond the arc, 7 to 35. But the good news was they didn't need it because they dominated in the paint. They outscored Orlando 64 to 40 in the paint. They shot 48% from the field. They didn't need the three point shot. And the other thing that gets a little bit overlooked in here as well is the Hornets have been very, very bad at free throw shooting this year. Last night, they were shooting 87.5%, 21 for 24 from the free throw line. That's going to win you ball games in the
1: NBA. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing that, take kind of your approach to it, the thing that stood out to me that you walk away from that should have been a little bit, or the reason it got a little close at the end than it should have been was the defensive rebounding. I mean, this again, this is a very, very big Orlando Magic team, even missing Paolo Banquero, Bobo, Wendell Carter, Franz Wagner. These are really, really big players. Mo Bamba, really big player off the bench. And they had 22 offensive rebounds leading to 34 second chance points. And I want to say like 18, 19, 20 of those second chance points came in the second half so Hornets got to do a better job of finishing possessions a little bit that's kind of I think what allowed Orlando to get back in it a little bit you know get within striking distance but what I really loved was they forced 22 turnovers a lot of them were live ball turnovers they had 15 steals at the season high Scored 21 points off those turnovers had an 18 to 4 advantage in fast break points and I would even say they left some points on the board in those fast breaks they kind of had a couple possessions where they got running and, and you know, missed a layup or a turnover, a ball went off somebody's knee. So that could have been easily 24, 26 fast break points. And they were also lasting 27 of 33 at the rim. That's almost 82%. Anything worth of 80 at the rim is really, really good for a single game. I think the Magic were only 56%. So, you know, the three-point shooting was obviously pretty glaring. The defensive rebounding was obviously pretty glaring. But they were really, really, really good in a number of other key areas that, you know, kind of was able to overcome not so good in those two particular fields.
0: For the most part, Charlotte was able to dominate in every statistical category. They did lose the assist battle 23-22, to 22, not really a big deal there. They did get out-rebounded 48-37, to 37, which was a little interesting, but that's probably going to happen when you got guys on the other side, like a Wendell Carter Jr., like a Bull Bull. Franz Wagner's a little bit oversized as well. Mo Bamba coming off the bench. There's a lot of giants over there on that Orlando roster. But the biggest thing for me, of course, was the fast break points, like you mentioned, 18-4 Four. orlando cannot block your shot if they are too busy trying to chase you down as you go into the front court so that was really promising really thought that the hornets needed to get out and run to win this game they certainly did by the tune of a 112 to 105 final finally able to shake off the rust get their first win in the month of november kind of weird to say that even though we're midway through the month but hey the panthers won on thursday the hornets won last night so it's a winning week here so far in the queen city coming up next No silver linings. We're going to talk about our top performers. That comes your way next right here on the Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Senta. Cataracts made it
1: hard to see clearly. Even movies were blurry. So I went to Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. Now movies are as clear and sharp as they once were. The doctors at Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates offer
0: cataract surgery using the newest technology and lenses with short recovery times. See like you once did. Schedule your appointment today at C-E-E-N-T-A slash appointments. Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates. They just make sense. Rob Longo in the lead writer of Hornets.com. Sam Pearlie with you here on a winning edition of the Hornets Hivecast as Charlotte takes out Orlando on the road 112 to 105 last night. One thing I forgot to mention in our first segment here, Sam, too, is that we talked about how the Hornets, yeah, they led by as many as 19 here. At one point during the game, they never relinquished the lead once they got it very, very early in the contest. Did get down to single digits there late in the fourth quarter. But this Orlando team, despite having a 4-10 and record, they're pretty solid. They were coming off a two-game winning streak where they beat Dallas and Phoenix. Now, Phoenix was playing without Chris Paul, but it's still the Phoenix Suns. It's still the Dallas Mavericks, two of the top teams in the Western Conference. And they were able to beat them both at home earlier last week. So and with that said, Orlando, not as bad of a team that some people think at any rate. Time for our top performers. As the guest of honor, I will always defer to you. Who do you like as your top performer from last night's victory?
1: In a long-awaited gold star version of this podcast, I'm going to go with Mason Plumlee. I thought he was spectacular last night. Season-high 18 points. That's the most points he's had since joining the Hornets. Eight of nine shooting. Almost perfect. I think Bull Bull swatted one of his shots away late in the fourth quarter as the shot clock was expiring. Uh, Made both his free throws. Team-high 10 rebounds. Two assists little bit of foul trouble here and there, kind of in the second quarter, maybe around midway through the third as well, Uh, but also had three steals and and blocked a shot. I I thought his presence down low was really, really good. Set guys up, pushed the pace in transition, just did a little bit of everything tonight and easily his best performance of the season.
0: Cross court for P.J. P.J. lob, Plumlee, the jam, and that should do it. Mason Plumlee's Dr. Pepper Doug might just be the final nail in the coffin. It's a season-high 18, Hornets by 9. Mason Plumlee was probably going to be my top performer, my gold star, whatever you want to call it, before you took him, but a plus 10 and a plus minus. You can't argue that. Unfortunately, they did take a rebound away from him, but he still finished with a double-double, 18 points, 10 boards. Still get your half-off dominoes today with code Hornets if you're looking for some pizza to fulfill your Tuesday evening, Tuesday lunch maybe even, depending on what time you're listening to this podcast, but At any rate, Mason Plumlee with a team-high 18 points, and that's the other thing, too. We didn't even talk about this box score, is there were seven players in double figures for the Hornets, and everybody was super, super balanced. You had Mason Plumlee with 18 points. Terry Rozier and LaMelo Ball each had 17. Kelly Oubre had 16. P.J. Washington had 14. So did Teo Maladon, and then Jalen McDaniels had 10 as well off the bench for the Hornets. So just very, very even-keeled throughout the lineup. Anytime you can have that from your team, you're going to be very, very successful in the game. With that said, for my top performer, I have to go with the guy that closed it out late down the stretch, and that is none other than Terry Rozier. Gives to Rozier, eight on the shot clock, 50 seconds left. Rozier penetrates, kick to the corner, Lamello, fires for three. No, rebound, Rozier up for the lay-in. Terry between two players, 6'10 or taller, and he slices through for the putback. Smallest guy on the floor, biggest rebound of the night. That put the Hornets up late in the game with about 44 seconds left to make it 110-101, to pretty much making it a three-score game and putting it out of reach. Again, Terry among the trees going in there. That Youngstown toughness that I always like to talk about on the broadcast, really, really good game for him. 34 minutes, 17 points, couple of rebounds, couple of assists, had a couple of steals in there as well, 7-15 from the field. The only problem was the three-point shooting was not there, one for eight from beyond the arc, but again... Also sound like a broken record saying this a little bit. Nobody really particularly shot the three ball well last night. Kelly Oubre was 0 for 3. P.J. Washington 0 for 3. LaMelo Ball was 4 for 15. It was great that he hit the 4 three-pointers, but it took him 15 attempts to get there. At the end of the day, though, what Terry Razier brings to this team, especially since LaMelo Ball has come back in these last two games, I'm not saying it's a different looking terry rozier but it's a more comfortable terry rozier he's able to go back into that two guard he's able to go there and not have to worry about creating his own shot not having to worry about facilitating he can certainly do those things but he doesn't have to make it an emphasis or a priority he is able to kind of play his own game which i feel like always personally is him driving to the basket shooting step back threes just being able to have players find him wherever he can find space. He's really good at making his own space out there on the floor and creating separation where he can. And he's able to hit those shots on catch and shoot situations. So that's why I like Terry Rozier as my top performer from last night, just because he's being able to kind of round himself back into that traditional Terry Rozier form that we've seen in the past when it's that tandem of him and LaMelo Ball in the backcourt.
1: Yeah, for sure. To also add to that, he's still working. I mean, this is only his, fourth or fifth game back and sitting out two weeks for the ankle injury. So it's going to take some time to regain that rhythm. And I really liked some of the lineups last night. I think you saw Terry LaMelo and Teo sharing the court, at least two of them, sharing the court for a good chunk of the night. And you got to remember, too, I mean, I think a lot of the three-point shooting, you look at that number and you see just seven of 35. I mean, the Hornets just couldn't get into the paint sometimes. I mean, the the interior defense of Orlando gave them a lot of problems a couple weeks ago. And even without Bancaro, it felt like they had at least one, if not two, seven-footers on the court at all times. You have Franz Wagner, who is probably one of the bigger more talented young defensive wings in the league chumo okk i think now how it's pronounced also a very good defender jalen suggs really good defender i mean it's just hard to get into the paint so the hornets were forced to kind of settle for some longer threes when they did get in the paint though they they did a good job of finishing like i said 27 of 33 at the rim really really good too so obviously that seven on the three-point shooting is a little bit glaring terry was just one of eight but you do the math, I think it was 6-7 on two. So when he got to the rim, he did finish or got inside the arc and got a good shot, he finished. So I agree with you. It's going to be great to see how he can kind of get back into his normal role with guys hopefully getting healthier sooner than later.
0: A couple of other notable top performers. I already kind of mentioned them a little bit. Kelly Oubre with those 16 points. P.J. Washington with a pretty big bounce-back game, 14 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. Filled the stat sheet pretty good there. You got guys like LaMelo Ball who was on the cusp of – a double double, 17 points, 4 rebounds. He did have 9 assists. And then Teo Maladon with a really good job coming off the bench. I mean, he's been one of those pleasant surprises this year. 14 points, 3 rebounds, 3 assists for Teo. He also had a pair of steals in 25 minutes out there on the floor. Sam, I know we're a little bit out of practice with this because it is a gold star, top performer edition of the Hornets Highcast, whatever you want to call it. But at the end of the day, when you take a look at this box score, we could have picked basically 7 guys, 8 guys even, and we could have said, yep. Yeah, that's the top performer just based off of the balance of this team.
1: Yeah, for sure, and I think the thing with Kelly that really stood out was the six steals. I mean, a lot of them, I think, when you can get steals, not just forced turnovers, but you get steals in the way that the Hornets run and can play with pace and get the ball going the other way. I mean, they had the magic defense on their heels almost the entire night. Fifteen steals was three more than they've had in any other game this season. I think kind of the unsung hero for me was Teo Maladon. LaMelo got in some early foul trouble. They didn't take him off the court, but they brought Teo in to kind of play LaMelo off the ball a little bit more or to help kind of in defending the black backcourt. And he was really, really good. Very, very controlled. He's had a couple good games in a row. Didn't miss a shot, 14 points, two steals, three assists, three rebounds. I thought he very quietly was maybe be one of the point best players last night, given kind of, you know, where he is on the depth chart, being a two-way guy and and things like that. He really stepped up last night. But, you know, these are the fun wins. when you get contributions from everybody across the board and everybody's chipping in with points or rebounds or steals or making threes or facilitating or defense. I mean, those are kind of the the wins that feel really good because everybody's kind of chipping in. And and you got to remember, this team is still very – you know, shorthanded, they're missing two of their best defenders and Dennis Smith and Cody Martin. They're missing one of their best scores and Gordon Hayward too. So, hopefully, they can kind of use this win, build on it going into Indiana tomorrow night, take all the good, and then kind of focus on what wasn't so good, like the rebounding, like the shooting. Kind of work to see what they could have done better, and hopefully, you get one win can turn to two wins and. Before you know it, hopefully we got a winning streak going.
0: I'm glad that you mentioned that the steals in there, Sam, because I almost felt guilty having to be almost two-thirds of the way through this podcast, and we didn't even bring up the fact that the Hornets had a season-high 15 steals in last night's game. So it just kind of shows that that turnover number for Orlando that was at 22, although it is really high, a lot of it was – because of what the Hornets were able to do defensively. Sure, some of them were self-inflicted by Orlando, but not really all of them. The bulk of them came via steals or even via blocks, too, because the Hornets had seven blocks on the night as well. So some good stuff overall from the Hornets, who win at 112-105. to Defense has certainly been a calling card for this team on a handful of occasions this season, especially when they pick up these wins. It's a calling card of head coach Steve Clifford. What is the nitty-gritty of this defense? What is the thing that really makes this defense tick or something that is really analytical. We're going to dive into the weeds of that next here on the Hornets Hivecast brought to you by Senta.
1: Hornets fans, make sure you download the Hornets app this season for an enhanced game day experience. The Hornets app is your home for the game day digital program with all the information on your favorite team and giveaways every game day. You'll also find predictive games, mobile food ordering, and even a wallet for your NFTs. Download the Hornets app today.
0: Rob Longo and the lead writer of Hornets.com, Sam Perley, putting a button on a winning edition of the Hornets Hivecast today. And as always, we're presented by Santa Charlotte Eye, Ear, Nose, and Throat Associates, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Hornets. And Sam Perley, the lead writer of Hornets.com, of course, a couple of days ago had a really interesting article out on Hornets.com titled The Timeless Art of Deflections. And this one is a little bit kind of analytical it gets into the weeds a little bit the definition of a deflection is defined as any time that a player gets his hand on the ball in a non shot attempt so getting in the passing lane disrupting those passing lanes all that kind of stuff. It's been officially tracked by the league over the past couple of years and, of course, unofficially long before that. But this is something that's really, really, really getting into the weeds here, Sam. This is the paragraph. I'm not going to spoil the whole article, but the paragraph that I look at a lot here in this story is 13 games into the season. Of course, this was written a few days ago. The Hornets ranked 5th in the association in deflections at 17.9, despite not having guys like LaMelo Ball and Cody Martin, who finished first and third on the team in the category last year. LaMelo Ball is a guy that I don't think gets enough credit for his defense because a lot of times he's anticipating and he gets out of position a little bit, but he is so long that he's able to create those deflections, and I think that's something that really doesn't get taken into consideration. Cody Martin certainly makes sense. He's been one of the team's best defenders. We talked about his ability to draw charges a lot last year as well. Without those two guys for the majority of the season, now that LaMelo Ball has been back the last couple of games, Charlotte was fourth overall as a team last year, averaging 16 deflections. So the fact that they were able to be ranked fifth in deflections and in fact have more than they did a season ago at 16, is really remarkable stuff. So, Sam, I know you're an analytical guy. I'm not going to call you a stats nerd or anything like that because that's rude and I'm not going to insult a guest here on a Hornets Hivecast, but what was the process of putting this story together? Because I know uh, Coach Clifford is one of those guys that really talks about deflections and the small details of the game. So I just wanted to get your thought process on how this came to fruition and how you were able to track all of this stuff.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I think it goes back to, I think, one of the more recent road trips is either I think it was before the game in Memphis coming out of the game in Chicago where the Hornets actually played I think pretty good defense in the second half they just couldn't score I just think it's something that you know you kind of looked at like you mentioned it's been tracked by the NBA for a few years unofficially it's been tracked for you know years and years and years it's just kind of done traditionally using a clipboard on the sideline and it's just another way to measure defense measuring a way to or how hard are teams to play against even if these deflections don't Cause steals, they can break rhythm. They can get timing. You know, it can help your defense get its timing back if someone's out of position. It can burn seconds off the shot clock if the opposing player has to go and get the ball somewhere because it's been knocked away. So it has. It serves a purpose even if you are not generating steals. The Hornets do a good job of generating steals as it is, but I just like the way Clifford. The kind of the rationale behind it is, I liked how Clifford said this is kind of the way you measure effort and intensity on the defensive side. How disruptive and how difficult are you to play against? And the Hornets have done a good job. They were really good last year. I think entering the Magic game, they had dipped to eighth in deflections. I would guess with the way last night went and all those steals they had and the 15 steals, they're probably closer back up to the five or four range. And, again, that's not having two of their – Best deflectors for most of the season right now, and Cody Martin and Lamelo Ball too. So I just kind of like the, you know, the little stuff. You don't see it, you don't pay attention to it, but it's those little like winning hustle plays, like sticking your hand out and, and getting a, a deflection that leads to a steal, that leads to a fast break opportunity. It just that kind of stuff really fascinates me. And the Hornets are, are one of the best in the league at turning live ball steals into transition opportunities. I think they're top three in frequency of times they get a steal, it leads to a transition opportunity. And I wanna say they're close to the top as well in points scored per one hundred possessions in such scenarios. So I think stats Nerd is kind of the correct moniker. I mean it's just kind of one of those weird things I find interesting with the deflections and you know it's it's something that's very much valued by this Hornets team that's really trying to carve out a defensive identity and take a big step in this area this season
0: one of the things that was discussed at the NBA broadcasters meeting back in September was the NBA was going to introduce defensive box scores this season now i haven't taken a look at one i haven't been able to track one down i haven't really to be honest with you looked really really hard for it because i don't know if i could decipher it I'm curious, as the stats aficionado, as the analytics aficionado that you are, Sam, I'm not using stats nerd. You use that, not me. Have you taken a look at that kind of stuff? Or what are some of your other favorite hustle stats that you think have a pretty big indication on a game that some people might overlook?
1: Well, I think some of the other stuff, too, and and I think charges drawn is a good one. I think the Hornets aren't nearly as good in that area this season as they were last year. A lot of that is not having... Uh, Cody Martin, he was kind of the, the charge, taking charge king, you know, I think studying screen assist. I mean, you can look at sort of all these hustle stats on the NBA. And, you know, I think it's it kind of circles back to there's been this sort of challenge in how to measure defense. And I think in the NBA, there's ways to measure de- offense. You can look at scoring. You can look at assists. You can look at field goal percentage or three point percentage or free throw percentage or things like that. It's a little bit more quantitative. You look at the defensive side. I think it's kind of a challenge to measure defensive impact on that side of the ball. You can look at defensive rating. You can look at stuff over, you know, a hundred possessions and this and that, but it's kind of been this challenge of how do you measure a good defensive player? A lot of it comes down to the eye test. You look at hustle stats. I think deflections is a really good measurement of that. It just shows how you know, difficult you are to play against. Very good example. Dennis Smith he is fourth in the NBA right now in deflections per game, three point nine. You watch him, and you can kind of see why that's the case. He's really, really good defensively. Uh, the other good defenders around him: Paul George, Alex Caruso, DeLon Wright, uh, OG Anunoby is fifth, and then DeAnthony Melton is sixth in that category. Sheen, or Shea Gildes, Alexander, Anthony Davis, Kelly Oubre is also uh, ninth in that category, category too. So. There's different ways to do it. You take a little bit from this area, you take a little bit from that area, you do this and that. There's some, obviously, you know, just kind of watching, getting a feel of guys. But uh, measuring defense is kind of a fascinating thing to me because there's no clear cut way to, you know, define it necessarily. It's a little bit of a hodgepodge of various stats, tape, film, things like that, too. So I think deflections is kind of a good starting point to kind of look at you know, how do you measure good defense or how disruptive are they to play against and so on. So this is kind of a starting point and hopefully the Hornets will kind of, you know, crawl up the leaderboard in a number of other defensive categories this year.
0: I never thought I would hear a three or four minute manifesto on deflections and analytical stats like defense and deflections and that sort of thing. But I'm glad that you were able to provide us with all that insight, Sam Perley. So again, go ahead and check out his article on hornets.com. It's the timeless art of deflections. And Sam, I'm going to go ahead and cut you off because I think you could talk about this all day. And we only got about 30 minutes and we're, we're pretty much short on time at this point.
1: Oh, absolutely. Thank you. I got a little long winded on it, but appreciate the plug and uh, yeah, good win last night. Let's keep it rolling.
0: Once again, Hornets went at 112 to one Oh five last night in Orlando. Up next on the docket, it's a showdown at Spectrum Center tomorrow against the Indiana Pacers. It'll be a 7 p.m. airtime on the Hornets Radio Network. You can join us by getting your tickets at Hornets.com or through the Hornets app. And we would love to see you here as the Hornets will be back out on the road after Wednesday's game for about a week. So this will be your last chance to see Charlotte here at the Hive until the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So like I said, go ahead and get your tickets at Hornets.com. For Sam Pearlie, I'm Rob Longo saying thank you so much for joining us on today's edition of the Hornets Hivecast. Sam Farber and myself will be on tomorrow's edition of the HHC getting a set for Hornets against Indiana.
1: Thank you for listening to the Hornets Hivecast. Brought to you by Senta, the official eye, ear, nose, and throat care provider of the Charlotte Hornets. For more coverage, visit hornets.com.